to the Thy Neighbor podcast, conversations with everyday people who are crushing it and making the world a more lovely place to inhabit. I am your host and occasional solo caster, Tracy Robbins King. If you are inspired by this episode and someone comes to mind as you listen, share this with that person. If you have benefited from the podcast, please like, rate, and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Podbean. Your ratings, reviews, and shares make a difference and allow this podcast to reach more remarkable people like you. Steph Walker is one of those people you simply love from the moment she flashes that front tooth gap smile. She has a distinctive gap between her two front teeth, and it is so beautiful and so liberating. She embraces who she is and inspires others to do the same. She is a huge example to the rest of us. Steph is completing her degree in clinical mental health counseling and is starting her field experience training next month. Woohoo! She plans to focus time and energy working with the queer community, especially the youth, building bridges between their families and their religious culture, but is open to working with anyone who has the desire to improve their mental health. Everyone should go to therapy. Steph has four kids and two grandkids. She recently went by herself to France for two months with a small jaunt to Germany and Poland, even though she only speaks un petit peu français. I don't even know how you say that, but I do speak a little bit of French. I don't know how to do it all right. Anyway, and took all these beautiful pics from her experiences. You can check it out on Facebook. Steph, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Will you tell us your story over the last, you know, five or six years? What changed and what stayed the same? Of course. I am so happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me, Tracy. Um, I've been looking forward to it. Yay! Well, in the last five or six years, I met great people like Tracy. Um, I've had a lot of change the last several years. Uh I left a marriage after 22 years. Um, I moved several times. My mom passed. Um, My dad has since passed. Um, I became a grandma. Daughter got married. Just all sorts of changes. I left a career. I taught for 13 years. um, And I left that. And I'm starting something new with this. My getting my CMHC. So it's exciting. Has anything stayed the same? Yeah, I think my core being of who I am has, I've been able to bring that with me through this journey. Um, So even though my marriage was not necessarily a happy one, I still stayed a happy person. Even though my parents have both died, um, it hasn't hardened me. Things like that. I brought me with me. Not a lot else has stayed the same. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's been a lot of changes. When did you discover that you wanted to go into therapy? I remember from a very early age thinking, I want to be a counselor. I want to be a counselor. As early as ninth grade, for sure. In fact, I remember coming home once and I was crying and my mom asked what was wrong. And I said, well, my friend is going through this, this, and it's just so hard and I feel bad for her. And she's stopped me right there. And she said, I love that you love to listen to people and help them, but you have got to learn to not absorb their problems and make them your own. And I thought, 
that was really wise because we can't we can't take on the world's burdens. We would be incapacitated. And so from a relatively early age, I've learned to start building those boundaries. Of course, sometimes it's easier than others, depending on the relationship. But overall, that's been really helpful. But I can't tell you how many times people have said, I have never told anybody this, or I have not said this much to anybody about this situation before, or only to my best friend, and I've known them for five minutes, that kind of thing. I don't know what makes people feel comfortable around me, but it has been a blessing. I feel very honored that people would trust me with that. I've definitely been that person. (laughs) I feel like I'm the person who's like, wow, I just feel like I can go in there and tell her everything. And that I think it's because you are open and you are not, people don't sense judgment. I think they sense a lot of love from you and just, you're okay with whatever is happening. I really am. I think it's because I've been through so much and I've done so much stupid stuff in my life. And I'm <laughs> that I'm like, no judgment for me. And I enjoy learning where people are and how they got there. But how do other people remain open and avoid judgment or trying avoid to avoid judgment or avoid judging? Because oh, okay, not not judgment. Let's say avoid judging, because I think that's really the action that can can disempower us is when we're judging. Because we have no control over being judged or not, right? That's totally outside of our um, realm. But as far as not judging people, I think respecting the journey, having respect for people is, is huge for me. Respecting their truth, not assuming that they should be anywhere. My expectations are for myself. Unless it's having to do with a boundary, I don't know that I have the right to expect things from other people, even though I really want to sometimes. If we expect our children to behave a certain way or to think a certain way, then we are doing them a disservice because it shows that we don't trust them, I think, to make their own decisions and follow their own path. I think that it instills an attitude of fear and fear is the opposite of faith as we are taught in scripture. And I think respecting people's journeys, letting them have their own way of getting to wherever they are and being curious Um, Being curious instead of judgmental. Huh, you think totally differently than me. I wonder how you got here. Or you, that is not a choice that I would have made. That's really interesting. Explain that to me. That's actually interesting because I've been reading Eight Dates. And in that book, it talks bits by the Gottmans. And it specifically talks about how one of the the key components to a happy marriage or any relationship is curiosity is staying curious about the other person and the way they became who they are and how they got to where they are. And so it's one of the things that tends to wane naturally when you're with a person a lot is we lose curiosity instead of continuing to be curious. That to me is is really cool. That's a really interesting observation. Instead of going into judging, you can go into curiosity. 
Right. Well, not only that, but no, not only, but I'm going to change that to, and (laughs) we should, I would hope, although should is a word that I don't really like to use unless I'm applying it to myself, but I am constantly trying to learn and to grow and which creates more opportunities for curiosity of other people. We are not who we will be in 40 years, I hope. And so, and new opportunities will bring different aspects of, it will give us the opportunity to figure out more about ourselves. So if, as long as we're staying open to new experiences, new ideas um, and growth, then you should have plenty to talk about. Can you share a time where you feel like you you were able to use curiosity when you wanted to go into judgment or a time where you felt like you knew there was some judgment coming towards you, but that you were able to maintain neutrality? Ask me the second one because I want to stick with the first one for just a minute. Okay an experience when I chose to be curious instead of judgmental. Yes. I have had a lot of experiences with that in the last several years with the political climate. I am very politically minded and I don't often fall into the same category, I guess, that a lot of people around me do. And so instead of, Oh my word, they are such an idiot. I cannot believe that they are still voting for this person or still doing this, that, or the other politically. I started doing that or I did do that initially. And then I realized that is not bringing me peace. This is creating some discomfort with, within myself of how it makes me feel. And I, part of it is that um, I actually work with someone who is vastly different than I am in a lot of ways one being politically. And he is one of my favorite people. I grew to love him. We just don't talk about politics, which is totally fine. There are plenty of other things to talk about, right? So I think that's part of it is finding common ground with people and finding things that you that do bring you together or that you can talk about. And then maybe once that foundation is built, then if you want to spend the time in talking about the more difficult topics um, if you want to. It's It goes back to that, you know, walk a mile in his shoes kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know what his story is that brought him to this point, but I bet if I knew his story, I would understand. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I, on the other half of the question, it was, it was the, the idea, like, have you ever had an experience where you've been able to maintain neutrality when you felt judged? It depends on what I'm being judged about. So if I am being judged about something that I don't care about, it's so easy, right? It's like, I don't care. Judge me for not shaving my legs. Judge me for the gap in my teeth. Judge me for having this, that, or the other, or whatever. Okay. That's on them. It, it's really only hard for me when it's something that I am self-conscious about myself. Um, somewhat to, um, if it's about something that I deliberately did that I think I did right. And they have a different opinion of it. 
So uh, it all depends, you know, the, the situation where if I feel justified in my decision, then that's easier to let it go to, right? Because, well, they don't understand that this, 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 or they're not seeing the picture that I'm seeing kind of thing. And that also brings an opportunity for growth. If it's a manager or something like that, then it's kind of like when I taught school, I would sometimes hold up, I'm just going to hold up this little opus that I have here. I would hold up a can or some object. And I said, what is your view of this object? And they would tell me. And I said, hmm, that's really funny because from where I'm standing, it looks like this and they will be different. But the more people you get to see this one object or this idea, then a more complete picture you have for that object or that idea or or whatever it is, or that process at work, or so it's an opportunity for growth. Yeah, it's kind of like the dress, you know, remember, do you see the golden silver? Do you see the golden white dress? Or do you see, I see the navy and black, but they always say it's navy and white. And I'm like, what? I'm not seeing the same anyway. I recently did. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah, just like what I see versus I'm like, does anyone else see navy and black? That's what I see, right? And uh, there's not even an option. (laughs) But I I do want to go back to that third point, though, that that third option of what do I do when it is something that I'm self-conscious about? Because I think that's the hardest one. And really, it comes down to a choice that I have to make. And I don't often do it immediately. Right. Our first instinct is my first instinct is to be defensive and to explain or whatever. And after I have a minute, if I'm in the right frame of mind, I can stop, say, stop. Is this an opportunity for growth? What truth do they have in whatever they said? Is there truth in that? Is it something that I want to expend energy on? Or can I just let it go? and put it on shelf or totally ignore it and say, that's not something that I feel is pertinent to who I am. It might be important to them, but not to me, but it's a, it takes work and it takes an active, it's, it's an active choice. That's actually really powerful for those questions. Those are some really powerful questions to ask yourself. If you can stop and say like, is this worth my energy? Right. Is this, is this something that is, is something that I want to spend my time obsessing over or do I want to let it go right now because it's not worth it I think that's something that I've heard from you before is just saying like is this worth my energy and the time I could spend ruminating maybe over this whole entire interaction and is it actually worth it well yeah I I see so many people chasing other people's expectations and it's it's got to be exhausting right? And oh my word, every time I am at the dentist or wherever, and I see the popular magazines or on Facebook, you'll see these things. Um, and I enjoy rifling through them, but I don't sit and read them. And I, I have a really hard time not getting frustrated when I see who wore it better or, oh no, they're, are they getting a divorce or anything of these personal stories, the personal stories? I'm like, I wouldn't talk about like this about my neighbor down the street. Why would I care? You know, why should this be any different? Um, this sensationalization to sell magazines about people's life journeys who, and none of us have a perfect journey, right? 
or the trivial things of who wore it better, who cares? Who really cares, right? Um, are they comfortable in it? Do they feel good about themselves? Great. Awesome. Way to go. <laughs> Glad they found that dress or whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're in school right now and you're learning specifically about different tools, the ways our minds operate. You've learned so much during this time. What is something that has been enlightening or empowering to you? Um, a lot. As far as helping people process their journeys and their mental health. I live in my brain. I am, I am cerebral. I think about everything. I go down all these different paths just out of curiosity, not necessarily out of, oh no, you know, the what ifs type of thing that, that can be exhausting, but, um, I like to think. So when someone comes in, that can be really helpful when someone comes in and they are all in the emotion. If they are, if they are all focused on the emotion, it's helpful to bring them up into the thought, okay, let's move this into this other area and see where the common ground is, see if we can balance it out a little bit. For me, in my therapy, I need to be brought into the emotional. I don't like to feel certain things. I don't know that I fully processed my dad's death, for example. He died last year and we were very close. I I too easily flip into not right now, or I'm just going to think about it instead of feel. Um, and I do think that it's okay to say not right now. I think that there are definitely times when you should think about things and when you shouldn't think, think, think about things or when you should feel things or when you shouldn't feel things. Um, I think that's a good lesson to learn, but you can avoid them and it should be balanced. An example um, of, of, putting maybe a time limit on things. Um, when I was 19 and 20, I, I was pregnant. I wasn't married. And I was living with my parents during that time. And I was in my room crying. My dad heard me. He came in and he said, what's going on? I'm like, it's just really hard and I don't know what to do. And, and it felt really heavy. And of course, I mean, it is heavy, right? Um, and he said, okay, yeah, absolutely. This is really hard. And this is really heavy, but don't let this be your whole life. Don't let this be every moment of your day. Allow yourself a half an hour every day to think and feel and cry and be upset and go through all of these emotions, but the rest of the time, put it away. Put it in this little box and open it for, you know, that certain amount of time or whatever. Schedule it if you want to. But don't let it overpower everything in your life. Wow. It, was, it was really helpful. And it's not always easy to do, obviously, right? But um, it's a skill that I have practiced and I've gotten better at. If somebody feels like, I'm getting emotional. I can sense that I'm emotions are coming up right now and I want to process them. I don't want to stuff them away. 
Uh, but I know that if I do it right now, it will not be well. It will not, it's not the scenario or the circumstance in which I want to do this. Uh, how do you think you, like, how do you talk to yourself through that? Like being like, hey, I, I see you, emotions. I want to feel you. I'm just, so you're not like, do you see what I mean? Because I think there's yes. this whole psychology of like, feel your emotions, let them come out, express your emotions. And then, you know, and then like, say goodbye, like letting go. Like that's kind of the letting go principle is that you right. see them, you you label them, you feel them. And then you're like, so long, right? And, um, but I think there's also a time where it's like, when we know that, oh, right now, I really can't deal with this right now, right? Like right now is not the time. Um, how do we still invite it back? so that we do process it? For me, the first step is asking why I don't want to, why I can't, I don't know, can't is the right word, why I um, am not able to process it right then. I have decided over the last few years to stop being embarrassed and stop fighting crying in public. For example, I'm a crier unless my depression is in, and then it's so weird. Depression is one of those, I'm either crying often and emotionally volatile, or I'm numb. Um, when I'm in the volatile stage, I cry over the dumbest things, right? Commercials, whatever it is. Um, and if it's out of embarrassment, then I am learning, I'm choosing, I'm working on saying, I don't care if people see me with a ridiculously splotchy, swollen, red face. Emotions are real. We all have them. Why should I be embarrassed? Um, if it's because <laughs> I'm teaching a lesson, this happened a few times when life was, you know, going on. And I, my students, not all students, but there were times when they saw me crying and I would explain to them, it's, I'm fine. I'm going through something, but it's, I'll be fine. It's okay. I'm just feeling a lot right now. And I think explaining to them that emotions are normal and, you know, giving them the example that grownups are real people or teachers are real people or whatever. I think that can be a learning experience for them. If it's because I really don't have that time or energy to process then our brains can only think about one thing at a time. It is literally impossible to not to think about two different things. So if this is welling up, the emotion is welling up and I can't, I can't right then. I very seriously attune my attention to whatever it is that I'm doing that is preventing me from feeling those things. Recognize it. Like you said, yep. I acknowledge you but I will come back to you because I have to do this right now. Is it easy? Absolutely not. And worst case scenario, whatever you're doing, if you're with people or whatever, you say, excuse me, I'm going to go take five minutes. I'll be right back. And you go to the bathroom or wherever, and you process as much as you can or need to, to get to a place where you can function and move on. I think the times I connected best with my students is when I showed them my humanness and when Absolutely. I allowed them to see me as a person and not perceive me as 
some person who didn't have that experience. And I feel like growing up, I didn't have that so much. I didn't have as many teachers who showed me that they were people, I guess. Right. Or, and, and therefore, I don't think I perceived them as having serious challenges, which of course they did. Right. And I just find that interesting because I remember a time where I was so sad in class. I was so sad and I was just fighting the tears and I could, and I could feel them coming. And I just said, everybody, I am not feeling good. We're taking a walk. And we all stood up and we left the building and we did our walk and they were all so concerned, right? They're all so very concerned. Are you okay? And, and you get to see also that side of them. You get to see the ones who genuinely want you to, to feel good as well, but they want to also let you know that they love you. And it is, it's really beautiful to see that side of them as well. It is. And I think that not only with students, but with anybody in our lives, because don't we often do that with other people too? Oftentimes the people who might be above us at our jobs or whatever. And it should be a two-way street. I think when we are honest and open and respecting of ourselves, we also need to show other people, those same, have that same attitude towards other people. I was typically a, I was a relatively well-liked teacher. There are obviously some exceptions. (laughs) There will always be exceptions, right? Amen. But for the most part, honestly, it's because I saw my students as people and not just a seat that's being filled. And I I gave them the respect that any human deserves. And I know that that's little, but if we can give that, I try to give that attitude. Well, I don't try. It just, I don't know. I've been blessed to be able to do that naturally. And I get a very warm response from most people, even the people who aren't necessarily naturally warm or open to other people. This sounds like I've made it a game, but I haven't, but I've learned to have patience with those people and just continue to be myself. And then nine times out of 10, I see this little switch and they giggle or they, you know, smile or they do something that shows me, okay, I'm a safe place for them. Or they find me funny or whatever, you know, Right. What a treat. What a treat. What a reward in its own regard that you get to see somebody who maybe at first is not so warm and um, abiding and that, that you can kind of have an impact by just staying true to yourself. From my perspective, you are someone who I see as someone who's good at showing herself compassion. I don't know if you think this, but I'm curious how you've learned to do that. Even if you don't agree, tell me how you feel. <laughs> For the most part, I'm pretty good at it. I think. Again, I don't really know how I got to be so lucky. And I'm not always lucky in this regard. There are definitely times when I when I can be hard on myself. I think it's twofold. One, having a sense of humor about myself. I grew up in a family where we joked around a lot. We would tell each other dumb things that we did so we could all laugh. And that taught me that I can laugh at myself, which because I don't take myself really seriously most of the time, it's easier to have compassion for me, right? I think a lot of that is this expectation, that thought of expectations again. I expect to make mistakes. I expect 
to act foolish or do whatever or be insecure. You could go on and on, right? The list is long. But if I expect to be those things, then not being happy with that, if it's something that I don't like, like there are times when I can be selfish and there are times when I can be, oh, immature and not in the fun, silly way, but like (laughs) emotionally immature. And those aren't things that I like about myself, but I think taking the pressure off and saying, well, you have to, you can't be like this saying, recognizing where I am and then making small steps. Okay. Here's an opportunity. I'm feeling this right now. I'm going to lean into it instead of backing away from it. And I'm going to look at it as an opportunity to practice something different. What is the root cause of closed-mindedness? My daughter and I were talking about this the other day and she said, but we took it on the other side. We were talking about how, how do people stay open? And she said, well, you have to be humble. You have to be humble to stay open. You don't know all the answers. You don't know everything. People can't think that they have all the answers. Just like what I I just said, I am working on my redundancy (laughs) issue. (laughs) by the way that's another one I'm I'm working on and I thought about that for a minute and I thought humility is definitely part of it absolutely you have to be humble but you also have to be curious and we've talked a lot about curiosity as well you can be humble but not reaching and stretching and putting yourself in opportunities where you know you can live in the safe little space but then you're not reaching out, you're not looking past where you feel comfortable to new experiences, you know, to new ideas or to people. What is a strategy that we can use to stay open? Well, some things I like to do um, are, first of all, I think it's important to note that there are certain areas that you shouldn't be open to non-negotiables. And those might be different for every person. For me, I most definitely value people and living things, trees, you know, like all living things over experiences. So um, should I be, would I be, should I be open to going to a dog fight? That is not in my comfort zone. That is my boundary. That is a non-negotiable for me. I would not want to do that. I have actually never been to a rodeo. I know a lot of people love them and I think that's fine. I have no judgment for them for liking rodeos or whatever. It's just not in my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I see, I has, I said comfort zone and now I'm like, wait a second. That's something that you try to question, right? But that is, so maybe not comfort zone, but it's a non-negotiable for me. Mm -hmm. And again, those can be different for everybody. As far as staying open to other things, um, it is the curiosity part. Um, I think it's watching for those absolutes in our thinking. Oh, I would never do this. Or 
I won't like that. So I'm not going to try it. Um, I don't know. I just think, you know, this, this experience of life, I think we're given an opportunity and we, I think it's a responsibility going back to the scriptures. um, There's a parable of the talents and God gives, you know, three people, different amounts of talents and he wants to see what they come back. And I think that we often think of that in um, a lot of ways, but part of it is creating a beautiful life. I think one of our talents is having this opportunity to live on this beautiful planet with all these different opportunities. And I can't imagine going up to heaven and seeing God again. And he's like, so what did you do with your time and life, you know, here on this great planet that I created? Oh, well, you know, I wanted to play it safe. So I um, watched a lot of TV or this, that, or the other, right? It's like, but what about the beautiful mountains and what about the ocean and, and what about books and what about, you know, all of these different things? I don't know. Um, creating a beautiful life. What does that mean to, to you? To me, it means travel and people and um, expanding my ideas and things like that. For someone else, it might be something completely different. Reading every book in the library, whatever it is, you know. Yeah. One of the things you told me is that you utilize a strategy where you add and or yet. Do you want to explain that one to us? Yes. So, um, for example, I had a lot of students. Well, and I do it myself. Um, I am not good at, I struggle with eating sugar. I eat too much sugar. Tracy was always, you were always so inspiring when you bring your healthy <laughs> lunch and all of these things. And, and you're one of my good reminders, my positive reminders, because I didn't feel judgment from you, but it was like, you know, carrots, well, I don't really like carrots, but fruit really is good. Like an apple can cure that, you know, as well as a candy bar or whatever. Anyway, I'm still struggling with that. I will let you know, but I struggle with, with eating well, with eating a lot of sugar. And I can spend the time and energy if I want to work on that. That gives me the the permission to put it on the back burner if I need to, if other things take priority, relationships, whatever, you know. If I make it a choice, it doesn't feel like I have to do it. I don't like being told that I have to do something. I'm very rebellious by nature. I'm working on it. Okay, there's an example of the other thing. I am so this. I am so that. I'm not good at math. I am rebellious. I am whatever. Fill in the blank. And I can work on on that. Or adding that word yet. My friend has always said, I can't do math. I would always say yet. Giving yourself that opportunity, that opening the window to something else. And that's really the whole idea of staying open is opening the window, the door, the box, the whatever metaphor you want to use to something not necessarily different, but in addition to, sometimes it is something very different. You know, if you were raised in a household that had a lot of racist attitudes and behaviors, maybe that should be a different 
attitude, right? But if you're raised maybe with this belief system and then something else, you experience something else that is contrary to that or doesn't fit in your prescribed box of expectations of what you should or should think or do or whatever, sitting in that for a little while and seeing if you can expand the circle and invite that in. And if not, being okay with sitting with that cognitive dissonance, right? That's part of growth. Can we be too soft in our thoughts or in the way we're going? Can we can we be too, yeah, I guess the word that comes to me is soft. And I have done most of my thinking in that area as far as my testimony of my religion. It is most definitely the most prescribed area in my life where I feel like it, it has definite, like I'm, I'm buying into somebody else's ideas. Most other things I've come up with through my own experiences kind of thing. And I think that's where you, again, go back to the non-negotiables. What are my non-negotiables for me in my religion? I am a member of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. A lot of people don't, I had one professor when I don't know why that came out, but he's like, no, you're not. And I said, no, yes, I am card carrying member, you know, and he didn't believe me. And I think it's because I don't, people also have thought, oh my word, I was on a dating app a while ago and I saw this guy's I'm rambling. So bring me back if you can. Um, I saw this guy's profile and he said, I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, so of course I'm conservative and a Republican. And that bugged me so much. I, I've always identified with the, the Democratic Party, which obviously, you know, in Utah is not normal, and I'm LDS. Those two can, can exist within the same person, right? So my non-negotiables, I believe in God, absolutely. I believe in, in the power of the priesthood. I believe that there's a power to the Book of Mormon. Those are my non-negotiables. I know that there's been a lot of discussion about the priesthood and women and such, but I, while I've never had really an issue about it, I did hear a podcast a while ago and it, it opened my mind and she talked, she was talking about what the priesthood is and that anybody who has gone through the temple has the priesthood. And, oh, oh, right. That feels really, that's affirming to me, right? Having those non-negotiables and then allowing myself to realize that we don't have all the answers. We are capable of, and we are expecting, really, added information, added inspiration, new things to come in. If we are so rigid in our thinking that this new inspiration um, or revelation comes and it is contrary to what we've been told so far, or it doesn't fit in neatly with the the picture that we've been given so far, what is that going to do to our testimony? So I think realizing that things are going to be changing, it doesn't mean that it isn't true. Expanding that circle, expanding the box versus shrinking it. As far as being too soft towards other people, I have no right to do that. I have no right to say anything about their behavior or my duty to other people is to love them and talk to them and share with them my experiences 
and where I'm coming from to maybe help them give them new inspiration or whatever. But as far as being soft with other people, I don't even really know what that means because I, I don't have the right to judge them. And why else would we be soft with them? Yeah. And I guess maybe my thought is that sometimes I, my experience has been that I've seen people who've been given. So for example, there was a time where my parents were serving in the inner city mission of Salt Lake City. And they were experiencing, there were people of many different socioeconomic levels within their missionary, their mission boundaries. Right. And there were those who looked, there was lots of generational poverty. There was lots of a, a generational, like literally that was like ingrained. Like there were certain right. kind of characteristics and there's even, there's books that have been written about, you know, what kind of generational poverty looks like and how it manifests in a, in a family and, and what things tend to break that generational poverty. What, what, and a lot of it has to do with like high expectations and being held to a specific standard. And once those people actually were like, oh, this person expects this from me, some of those people were able to be like, oh, I, that feels good. Like I actually like reaching for something, you know what I mean? And that helped them right. get like a different, a new, a new brainwave, a new different, a different path. But, but previous to that, it just seemed like those services were keeping them stuck. Like some of those things that they were being, they were receiving weren't actually, actually helping empower them to, to feel better or to move help or do you see what I mean? And so I I wonder, so those are my, my question is like, are we as a society creating weak people by, by being so like, Oh, we love and we open, but it's like, what is love really? Like is love also high expectations? Not just you get whatever you want. Do you see what I mean? Absolutely. In fact, yes. Amen. There's a lot on that learned helplessness and it can be generational. It can be, I think we could go this new generation. I've seen a lot of entitlement, which is oftentimes the same thing, but in a different population. And I would often tell students, how many of you have done something hard? Like you fought it and then you do something hard and it feels really good. I remember when I was a kid, I would clean my room. I was not a clean person. Like I had more clothes. My dad only got mad at me. Literally. I remember I could count maybe five times that he yelled at me. One of them was about my room. That tells you how bad my room was. (laughs) That was my example. I said I would spend all day and I would clean my room and it felt so good. I didn't want to do it, but it felt so good. When I was working on my English degree I taught high school English. I do not like writing. I don't like sitting down to that blank page. Once I've started, once I'm moving, and once I've done, I'm done with it. It feels so good. And I think having that, I think that's a basic fundamental truth. I don't think that there are any exceptions to that. I don't like absolutes, but I would venture out and say that might be an absolute. So that is part of it. The other part, however, as far as the populations that you were talking about, my daughter and I were talking a while ago and she said, why isn't Maslow's hierarchy of needs a basic fundamental element of therapy? It's amazing what we will do if we don't have things like food and such, right? And so I think it's a marriage 
of those two things, making sure that the foundation is secure before you can move to the next level. And so providing a safe, not necessarily comfortable, but a safe place for people to then, it's almost like providing a safety net for them to feel safe enough to venture out on that that scary path that might have been passed down for generations to take that first step because the first step is the hardest. And then you start small. Okay, let's see if you can make this phone call. And sometimes that's really, I don't like making phone calls actually. So let's see if you can, let's start with that. And then let's build to getting your driver's license. Let's build to this, let's build to that. So I do think that absolutely expectations are part of it. In fact, there's one theory out there about parenting and the kind of children that it produces. And it's like a box. And I haven't thought of this for a little while. So excuse me, it might take me just a minute. But basically on on one, let's say the top row, but it's not hierarchical, um, you've got expectations. And then on the bottom row, you have affection. So on the top, if a parent has high expectations and no warmth, no love, no affection, what is that going to create? That's going to create some mental health issues. If we have someone who is all affection and no expectations and all warmth and and lovey-dovey feelings, then that's going to also create some issues. If you have one or the other, but not both, it's going to cause issues. Absolutely. You need both. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that love is many things like love love is it's it's also like knowing you're knowing what people need and it is interesting to read kind of the research around grit and how that's one of the the most basic components that's really needed right now in our society is like the capacity to just keep going when it's not easy but i think that's kind of natural man is like yeah okay whatever you know and then and, and sort of that grit to be like no i'm going to keep going or i'm going to feel the satisfaction of having stretched myself or having you know done something hard absolutely um, yeah it's just interesting because i feel like that is patterned to us too like they, we're given examples of people and that kind of okay i see them doing that seems to be creating good results like you also have to have those people around you to to see examples of it too right And I also think we need to be, well, it's helped me to be curious about myself. There are times when I haven't realized something about myself and then I have this new experience and I'm like, oh, all right, Mm, I'll have to think about that. Or it's something that I've always known, but they give me the opportunity to practice a lot. (laughs) Um, absolutely. Um, and my brain keeps coming back to what you said about love is a lot of things. I really believe that because if we love somebody, we want what's best for them. And that might look different to when I was a teacher, it was really hard when the parents thought what was best for their child was to make the road easy. And that's maybe it's because, you know, obviously, um, Sometimes if we're too close, we don't see things as well. So it's easier for me as a teacher to know that that's not 
maybe helpful versus the parent, right? Because they're they're in the mire, they're in the thick of it. Um, but absolutely, why why would I don't understand? I need to know their stories. There we go. Because <laughs> I see, I started to be judgmental there, and then I'm like, wait, they might have had some experience where that has led them to this point, but I don't understand yet um, why some parents don't want their kids to struggle, especially while they have them in the house so that they can give them support as they're struggling, making decisions, making mistakes. Um, Not that we don't mistake, make mistakes when we're grown and gone. Absolutely. We do. But to have that, that foundation, that practice of making mistakes, getting a bad grade, doing whatever with the support and, and love in a safe place. Right. Um, I was uh, over the national honor society at the high school for a little while. And I had a parent come in, their child had missed it by this much, this much. And the child, there's a process that we would go through Um, the the student could write a letter um, to us and we would read it through and see, well, should we make an exception here? And the reasons weren't great. There was no family death. There was no, you know, something out of the ordinary. And so we declined um, the appeal and dad came in the day of, of graduation, but she really wants to wear the, the bandolo at graduation. She really wants to wear it. And I just want to make this happen to her. And it's such a disappointment. And actually, one of my um, co-teacher friends was good friends with her and she, the student didn't really care. It was the parent who cared, right? That their daughter wore the bandolo. Um, and I said, yeah, it's really hard when we have those disappointments, right? I missed um, magna cum laude by this much because of my French class and the teacher, we were correcting her and it was really frustrating. Yeah, it is really frustrating. And I still remember that. And he's like, yeah, don't you want to, are you mad about that? And I'm like, no, that's life, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I our disappointments, I, I mean, often our disappointments really are uh, a, a blessing in disguise at some different point in our lives where we can look back and be like, I know what it feels like. I'm not unfamiliar with this emotion. And though you're having a different experience than me, I do know what the emotion is, right? I've yes. experienced that. And it doesn't mean that I'm having your experience, but it does mean that I have felt that before. And that's rough, but it is something that we we get to experience when we come to earth and we come here and have this, this, this mortal life. And it's meant to be a lot of things, not just, not just sunshine. It's not just meant to be sunshine. Yep. Yep. And before we go, is there any, I feel like you're a storyteller. Maybe it's just that I feel like you're a natural storyteller that you have things that you just intertwine. Like you just kind of weave in your life experience into everything you do. But do you have, would you be willing to tell us um, one of your life lessons through a story? The word is tangential, not necessarily a storyteller. <laughs> I am ridiculously tangential. Um, if anyone doesn't know what that word is, I'm I'm with you too. So we'll look it up. Let's okay, tangential. tangential. Um, I 
yay, you get an opportunity to learn a new word. Tangential is related to tangent, right? When we go off on a tangent. It's oh. also, I learned not too long ago, a math term, like a geometry where it goes, the line goes off. And I'm like, oh, that's why they call it a tangent. I do that all the time. Yeah, I'm tangential. Okay, a life lesson. Um, I mean, there are lots, but the one that is most recent probably is my trip to France. So my classwork ended in August and I wasn't going to be able to start my practicum. I'm starting it next month. So I had some break um, and I didn't want to just work. That seemed kind of boring to me. Um, and so I thought, well, what do I want to do? I want to go live in France for a year. Well, maybe not a year. Let's make it nine months. Nine months would be good because then I could start, you know, and I'm starting to just think. And then we got into the nitty gritty and I thought, okay, if it's longer than, than three months, you have to get a visa. So I, I just keep, I don't know, whittling things down and it ended up being two months. And I thought, yeah, holy cow, I, I think I might really do this. I'm going to go to France. Should I do this? And I kept like mentioning it to friends because I, I'd never, I've never known someone to just up and go and live somewhere for a little while who is not in their early twenties, you know, and doesn't speak the language and all of these things. And I actually mentioned it to my therapist. This was vastly helpful. She that night got she was like yeah do it and then she got on uh facebook that night and the next time i went in she's like i found this group for you it's called um solo in style and it's for women 50 plus but they there are people on there who are younger who do that that very thing they go by themselves all over the world it's a worldwide group and they travel whether it be an hour away. They're all degrees of comfort zone on this. Some women on there are, this is really inspiring, but I don't think I could ever do it. And they're like, it's okay. You know, blah, blah, blah. You can do whatever. Try going out to dinner by yourself. That's a great start, you know, and it was so, it is so supportive, but I saw these other women doing it. And that was validating. I had a coworker who said, if you don't do it, I'm going to be really mad. I thought, okay, yeah, I'm going to do this. And the closer it got, the closer it got, the closer it got, the more scared I became. Can I do this? What the freak am I doing? I cannot, the plane ticket is bought. The Airbnb is, is rented. Can I really do this? And I just kept moving forward. That fear stayed with me. I got a, a bless a priesthood blessing before I left, which was comforting, but it was still scary, but I just kept moving. I just kept doing it. And Lo and behold, I find myself in France. It was very isolating, but I learned a lot. I got pulled over the first driving in another country is an extra little challenge, not reading the signs and things like that. And the, I couldn't, I had to go <laughs> learning how to put the car in reverse. It's the little things, right? But I got pulled over my first day there and she didn't really speak a whole lot of English and I didn't speak a lot of French, but between the two of us, we we figured out what was going on and she was very nice and she didn't give me a ticket, but it was really empowering to me. I would say the most empowering things I've done are the France trip and 
having birth without any medication. They showed me that I can do hard things and that people are typically good and supportive and to expect challenges and to be able to laugh at those challenges. I only almost cried once because of out of frustration while I was there (laughs) and enjoying the ride and, and finding that joy and doing hard things. Everybody, we need to like raise the roof for, for Steph. That is so amazing. I am so pleased you did that. I just feel like that's my true nature is to just go wander. <laughs> so I feel like I, I really resonate with that. Just, I've, I've done things like that, but I did it in, I've, I've done it at different times. I've done it in my twenties. I've done it in my thirties, but I, I definitely think it's always like inside me, right? There's a little bit of a, a curiosity that always yes. wants to go find the next thing. And that's something that I love, but so for someone else, it might be the opposite. Their big challenge might be staying in a relationship longer than three weeks. It might be reading a book. It might be walking to the mailbox, whatever it is, right? We all have those hard things, but if we have, I don't know, dream big, you know, whatever it is or dream small, just dream. Right. I love it. Well, Steph, thank you so much. Is there, how can people connect with you? I don't know why they would want to. (laughs) I'm not giving any service yet, but if I am totally open to that, um, I am on Facebook. I'm not huge on social media, but I do have a Facebook account. There are lots of really great pictures of my grandkids and Europe. Scroll through the grandkids if you want (laughs) and get to the Europe pictures. They're stunning. What a beautiful place and beautiful people. I loved it. 